Welcome to Sensor Noise, a podcast about photography and cameras and gear and things like that. Um, my my name is Andrew Huster. Uh, one thing I want to say as an introduction is this is the very first episode is that uh, we're both hobbyists. We're not like professionals, you know, I don't want to pretend to have too much expertise about this. Um, I guess that's the the angle that I'm approaching this from, at least as sort of the hobbyist angle person who does photography because I like it and it's fun, basically. Um, you know, I don't, as my way of introduction, I got my first like real camera back in 2014. It was a Sony Alpha 5000, but I didn't really use it a whole lot. And I didn't really take photography seriously until like, Basically, a year ago, when I got a a film camera, that's when I really started getting into the hobby. So, um, yeah, I'm like an advanced novice, basically. Anyway, I'm the film photographer of the two of us, I guess. That's true. Though I do digital, too. (laughs) So, in my... I'm Arthur Rosa. I've been into photography as long as I can remember. Um, Started with film way, way, way back on some Nikon something or rather that my dad had. Um, and then when... Probably worth a decent amount of money now. Uh, probably, if it still works, who knows. <laughs> but at some point, you know, in the in the 2000s, the, I got into those uh, Kodak Easy Shares. My parents loved those. My whole family had a bunch of them. And so I started mm. using those primarily. And then... You know, kind of fell off when I went to college, but after school, I picked it back up again. And despite my professional-looking gear, I am by no means a professional, despite what my family yeah. may say to you. Just, uh, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I've had family tell me, like, oh, you could make a living from this. It's like, I am not there yet, no. I don't even own, like, lights. <laughs> oh, for me, I, I frankly but, uh, do not want to make a living from it. I have no intention of doing that. That's that's also kind of the thing, too, is I don't... I enjoy this as a fun thing to do that's not my job, and I worry that having it be my job would take the fun out of it, but um, I don't know. We'll probably, we'll probably talk to guests yes, of course. in future episodes about that. Um, but, yeah. I did, you know, my thing was I always wanted to be a photographer because I always saw friends who had like nice cameras, you know, like Canon Rebels and things like that. But I just didn't like understand it, you right? Know? I, uh, until and even when I got my Sony, uh, like I still didn't really grasp it. I just left it in auto most of the time, you know. And it wasn't really until I got. The first film camera that I got, which is a Practica from East Germany and is like <laughs> completely manual, you know, you can use it without batteries kind of thing that it's like, okay, now I have to figure out what aperture and shutter speed and ISO all right, are right. and what they do, you know? And like, once I did that, it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Well, hey, there's no, um, there's no shame in auto mode. I still use it all the time. That's true. Yeah. Especially in situations but where it, like, uh, I may not lighting conditions may change while things are happening and I don't want to like miss a shot. I'd rather have something be not like perfect than not have it at all. 
and and sometimes you're trying to get a shot and like you don't have the time right. to dial things in you know you gotta there's a plane flying across or a bird or something like and it's like i can't sit here and fiddle with the dials exactly. you know they're flying out of the sh- out of the frame as we speak so well and you know i i have cameras too where i trust the auto modes because they seem to do a good job yes for um, sure and i have other cameras where i don't trust the auto modes because they don't do a good job but yeah i um, definitely trust I it on that, my newer nikons you know, the older ones were iffy but these new mirrorless ones are pretty good yeah i definitely needed the experience of you know uh like not having my handheld with the auto mode to actually learn the basic concepts of exposure and all of that right because um, then, then, the... then when i got exposure figured out it's like okay now how do i compose a photo like you know not just centering everything in the middle of the frame you know right that's easy but how do you make it how do you take a good photo right right you know? And with the with you have to force yourself to learn those things. With the auto modes, they do a pretty good job of hiding all that stuff away. You don't have to learn what ISO is. You don't have to learn what aperture is. You just kind of shoot. Uh, yeah. When when I had my Sony, it's like okay, I I get what aperture is. You know, I, I get what shutter speed is. I didn't really understand what ISO did. And of those three, ISO I feel is u- like usually the hardest to adjust yes. on a digital camera. Yep, almost always. Um, and then on a film camera, ISO is like thing number one you <laughs> right, have to set. Right. You know, so. <laughs> You learn pretty quickly, which is sort of nice on the one hand, because it's like, oh, okay, I only really need to care about aperture and shutter speed then, because my ISO is set. But then also, there are times when I'm shooting film, and, you know, suddenly it gets cloudy, and it's like, I wish I could switch out films right now. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're just kind of stuck with your choices at that point. And 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 I don't have one of those uh, nice Hasselblads or Mamiya's that has the uh, the film cartridges with dark slides, so you can swap them out halfway through. Oh, yeah, that would be nice, nice, wouldn't it? I don't yeah. think either of us can afford a no. Hasselblad. No. Um, no. <laughs> Just no. As much as I would love to have one of their new, the, like, uh, medium format digital ones, I, there's no way in hell I can afford that. Yeah. And the the uh, used camera store near me had a Hasselblad X-Pan, the, the panoramic format, 35mm camera, which is highly desirable, but it's like also five, six grand, and now they have a second one. Right. And I'm just looking at them like, I would like that, but also that's just a ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, I was going to do a, a, like a photo news rundown real quick. Yes. Um, the the biggest news of this week is the Sony, uh, this is the, Sony, it's, it's called the Alpha 9, but everyone calls it the A9, and, uh, that's Sony's fault. Yeah. everything is Alpha, technically, but. And this is, and this no is Sony's, this is Sony's newest flagship, or maybe it's not their flagship. Maybe the A1 is their flagship. Who's to say? Yeah. But this is the A9 In either three. case, this is one of their higher end, yeah, the, the, the Alpha 9 three, which is, uh. The world's first global sensor full frame camera. Yes. Uh, so, so for those of and, you that um, don't know what this means, it, it, digital cameras up until now have basically worked in such a way that you read the pixels one at a time in lines. So you read the top line first, and then you go down the lines of the sensor all the way to the bottom. 
And this can have some issues if you don't do it fast enough. Fast-moving subjects can get warped because they're in a physically different position when you start reading the top of the sensor versus the bottom. And it's not... Rolling shutter is what it's called, and it's not ideal. Um, There are ways to work around it and try to make it better, but what Sony's done here is they've gone with a global shutter, which is the first camera like this. And the global shutter... It takes all of the data from all of the pixels at once. So there's no lines. It's just exposing the whole thing all at once. And supposedly this is changing everything. Yeah, it's undoubtedly neat, but I've seen some what I would call like histrionic almost uh, pronouncements about how this changes everything. I think the Petapixel video literally said this changes everything. I'm sure it changes everything for like a handful of people who use these cameras to shoot fast motion but i don't know like for you or me who's mostly taking stills uh and not at super high shutter speeds i don't think we would really notice you know and i'm also thinking too like if you if you you know if the iphone 16 comes out and it had a global sensor camera i don't know that that many people who buy it bought it would notice the difference you know so i have a couple i have a lot of experience with this kind of thing so i my primary camera is a nikon z9 which has no physical shutter so it's only electronic shutter which means that it should be fairly susceptible to this rolling shutter problem um it is not Uh, i i have i mean i've shot you know airplane propellers which typically show rolling shutter pretty badly and it's just not really an issue with my camera. Um, I mean, Nikon's done some clever things to, like, I think they read the sensor in both directions at once or something. They're, they're, they're doing some clever things to make it faster, but it's not an issue that I have. Yeah. I do think that it may actually be easier to get global shutters into smartphone cameras um, just because they're smaller yeah. and the processing power and memory speed and whatever of like the iphone is way faster than anything sony has ever shipped so like Mm -hmm. the main problem with global shutter is like how do you get all of that data out of the sensor and process quickly and the iphone probably could do that yeah um and typically those phone sensors read out slower than the professional digital sensors so those are ones where you actually do see the uh the rolling shutter more so I I could see it mm. happening on an iPhone probably sooner than it filters to the rest of the the mirrorless lines. Yeah. But the you know I think the I guess the technology limitations up to this point has sort of been the size of the sensor yeah. because this is a full frame sensor that making a global shutter sensor that big is a challenge but it's more just that for a while you couldn't dump that much data at once, like from the whole sensor. And even with this one, you still can't. It's it's compromised in some ways. Like it 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 yeah. can't actually shoot. I forget what the compromise is, but it, the cards that they're using can't actually take the full data rate. So if you bump the um, the frames per second up as high as it goes, you no longer can take like raws. You have to take JPEGs. Because it just can't yeah. store that data fast enough. Yeah, that's sort of that, so. There's yeah, so there's some slightly goofy things about this camera, as you might expect from this being like a Rev One of like a global shutter camera. Um, it can shoot up to one 
80 thousandth of a second, but when you're shooting continuously, it's capped at one sixteen thousandth of a second. Right. Um, and then, yeah, even though Sony is a part of the CF Express consortium that designs CF Express, the memory card standard that this uses, this doesn't use the latest version of it. So, yeah, the data rate is slower than it could otherwise be. And so it can't transfer the data onto the card quick enough. Oh, it takes four memory cards, which is nuts. Yeah, too. that's insane. I don't know why you would need that. But this this feels yeah. to me like market segmentation. As I mentioned at the top mm. of this, that Sony has two flagship cameras, the Alpha 9 and the Alpha 1, which are barely differentiated from each other. Um, yeah. It feels to me like in the next iteration of the Alpha 1, which maybe will come out before the Summer Olympics next year, probably will, that one I suspect mm. will use the faster cards and will be able to write at the full data rate and everything, um, whereas this one can't. It's it's strange on their yeah. part of having these two cameras that are very, very similar and compete basically for the same people. I don't really understand the strategy yeah. here. There is a neat thing here for this being a hybrid camera, which is that it can shoot full 14-bit raw 4K at 120 frames per second, which is 6 gigabytes per second worth of data. So, yeah. Um, just a ton and the the uh viewfinder is even um even refreshes at 120 hertz to match that frame rate, so i do have to say my my nikon has a 120 hertz viewfinder and that is very very nice mm. <laughs> it makes it like a lot of people complain about the evfs being you know not real but that 120 hertz refresh it sure feels pretty real to me yeah, I bet that's pretty close. I certainly notice it going back and forth between film cameras and my my camera, but right. I imagine it would feel less of an issue. Yeah. Um, this also has Sony's introduced pre-capture, allowing photographers to capture the moment before they fully press the shutter. So it's basically just like constantly buffering. Yeah. Like uh, 1.4 seconds. I mean, this is uh, clever, right? The iPhone does something like this as well. I just wonder yeah. how often anybody will use it because, I mean, I think the iPhone's got this with what, like the iPhone 6S or something, and I have right. never gone back and used the pre-captured images, like never. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like a way to eat up data. You know, for sure. More, more likely, and battery life. Know, so. Like your battery's going to get destroyed yeah. by this. Mm-hmm. And since the Alpha but, 9 um, doesn't have... It doesn't come with the battery grip built in like the other flagship mirrorless, you know, the 1DX or the the Z9. You're still stuck with the little Sony batteries, which that's going to chew through really quickly. But you can you can purchase the redesigned optional vertical grip for even more. Money. Right. Yes. So, for even more. Um, you know, you shell out <laughs> you shell out six grand for this camera. Then you have to buy the vertical grip. I'm assuming that's like three or four hundred dollars cards. Yeah. You have to buy four memory cards, two of which are CF Express, which are not cheap. Well, two of which are the CF Express are getting cheaper. So for my my camera only takes CF Express. I got a half a terabyte one for like three hundred dollars or something, but it can't support, you know, my camera can take 8K video and it can't do that on that card. I'd have to get one of the thousand dollar cards to be able to do that. 
Yeah, it is kind of wild because see if express cards are basically turning into like miniature SSDs. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I wonder too because this takes uh, ultra high speed two SD cards, which are the new ones right. that go super fast too. That those are like rapidly converging, and everything will just be <laughs> NV Express NVMe eventually. I mean, they but, effectively are, yeah. if I remember correctly, like right. uh, the CF Express cards are pretty much just PCI devices uh, under yeah. the hood. I think though, in the high high end market, CF Express will probably win just because of size. Like you'll always be able to cram more. Nan chips in there, yeah, because it's a physically it's larger bigger. card. Like, you could put two chips instead of yeah. the one that you could fit in the SD card, even if they were exactly the same chips. You can fit more mm-hmm. of them, so it will be able to be faster and higher capacity basically forever. Yeah, well, we'll talk about SD cards when we get to the the segment about my yes, new camera. Of but um, other other nice things you get here a full size HDMI port wow. and an Ethernet port in the camera. Yeah, mine has that too. I I suspect the way that they pitch this usually is it's for tethered capture. Like you'd you'd plug it into okay. uh you'd plug it into Lightroom and have Lightroom do the capturing, and then you use the Ethernet port to like directly upload to some sort of file storage or something. That's uh, that's mm-hmm. the kind of thing mm-hmm. that you do with that. I guess it's. I've never used it. I suspect it's useful yeah. for someone. Otherwise, they wouldn't include it. Yeah, right. Uh, professional photographers, I'm sure. But what's interesting, like, or something like that. Nikon with the Z8 took a different tack for the Ethernet port. It has two USB-C ports instead, and you can just plug in a USB-C to Ethernet adapter if you want that. Hmm. Well, that makes sense, Yeah, too. I think that... I mean, that's the promise of USB-C, These right? days, so. that makes more sense, I think. Because now you could have, oh, you have two USB-C devices instead if you don't yeah. use the Ethernet. So anyway, yeah, that's the new... There's an article in the show notes if you want to read about why the global shutter is such a big deal. Yeah. Um, which includes the smart everyday video about rolling shutter if you don't... If you're not familiar with rolling shutter. But um, yeah, that's interesting. It'll be cu- interesting to see how that technology trickles down over the next, like, decade, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. I mean... I don't think this will ever be everywhere because it's like it's just going to be more expensive. And a lot of people just right, don't need like it. The 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 like alpha sixty or you know six whatever thousand is probably never going to have no. this, and it should know? it doesn't need to. Yeah, there's no reason for it to have mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, in Canon land, there's a new. Super telephoto zoom, 200 to 800 millimeters, which is pretty good. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really pleased with this latest um, batch of lens technology. So this is great from Canon to see this very useful range, 200 to 800. Nikon has a similar one that's 180 to 600. I have no idea what Sony has, but I'm assuming there's several different options for them as well. Um, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with this, and especially with the price. I mean... This price is great. Under two thousand dollars for this is is pretty incredible, and it works with the RF one one point four X and two X teleconverter. So you can get sixteen hundred millimeters of you know you can basically turn your camera into a telescope right. <laughs> if you need to do that. <laughs> Which you know I don't know I just I kind of I you know I've never had a zoom longer than like three hundred millimeters, yeah. and I kind of am just curious to see like you know. 
what 1600 millimeters of zoom would be like yeah that's nuts <laughs> so i have my longest one is a 400 millimeter and i have the 2x teleconverter that i can put on there and that gets very mm. very long i'm not really sure what i would do with yeah. more reach than that but that's got to be hard to you, you probably got to put that thing on a tripod. Oh yeah, too, you you have to. Yeah. I mean, the the <laughs> if you're shooting in daylight, like if the the only time I've used it is for aviation photography. If you're shooting in daylight, you can handhold it because the stabilization in the lens and the stabilization in the camera mean that at high shutter speeds, it's fine. But if it's like mm. if you have to bring the shutter speed down at all, you need a tripod. No question. Yeah. Uh, there's also a new Leica. This is the first camera with content authenticity recording yeah which um content authenticity is interesting yeah Uh, it's apparently an an adobe like initiative yes and it's basically like someone affix you know it's like affixing a seal of approval to your to your photo when you take it to say this was taken on a camera so it's a it's a it's a it's a couple of things. It's a cryptographic signature that gets attached to the photo at the time you take it. Um, mm. You're basically signing the photo with like a checksum to say like I took this photo on this camera, and you're attaching your copyright information to it as well. Um, what makes this He's so useful for that? Yeah, yeah. and it, what makes this different though than just like EXIF data? is there's methods in content authenticity content authenticity uh to like in photoshop or lightroom as you make edits to a photo you can also certify the edits and then you can view sort of the the trails and it's like a it's like a chain of custody almost you know and what you can you can you can look back and see the tracking data on (laughs) on the photo and what's interesting about this is like if I remember correctly, they came up with this as like a, a like this came out during the NFT era as something to do with that, which was stupid yeah. at the time. But it's turned out that this is actually fairly useful in protecting against um, like AI copies of your photos and things like that. Um, it also right. includes and for people to distinguish between an AI generated photo and one that isn't. Yeah, they've. At least with Adobe software, they've made it so that if a photo has content authenticity and you use AI to, you know, do replacements or whatever, like the the content aware fill and whatnot, it also stamps that in the content authenticity to tell mm. you that yeah, there is AI usage in this photo. Um, yeah. So that, that that's kind of neat. My camera is supposed to support this at some point. Yeah, we'll see if they the, do. The Sony A nine three is also getting an update to support this in the future. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll turn so, it on. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone will ever care, but it can't hurt, I guess. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll probably turn it on too, but also not really do anything with it. You yeah, know? I mean, the way it, it sounds like it should just sort of work. Yeah, too, pretty much. So you don't really have to think about it. It really does feel just like um, enhanced EXIF data that people can't mess with easily. Because I think what you can do is say, like, there's like a website that they have right now that you can use to validate that the image hasn't been tampered with if it's signed with this thing. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if the future is like basically like a public key type thing where I can say, here's my public key. If you want to validate that this is my image, 
you know, use this to check the content authenticity right. signature or whatever, which would be or pretty we neat. might be able to have like if, if you go to upload a file to a website, it might be able to quickly check whether it you know has this data or not. Yeah, I suspect Adobe Stock will start doing that where you have to like prove that you actually own it or something. Right. Which, eh, not bad. Um, Can't complain. Next we have, um, this is more in the like podcasting world, but for aesthetic stuff, um, <laughs> Rode has released a limited edition range of white products. So if you need a, if you, if, if your aesthetic is white accessories, you can now get a, not only, not only a white microphone, but a white microphone stand yeah. and white headphones Heck. and a white roadcaster. Canon <laughs> users rejoice, I guess. If you're yeah. if you're a Canon user, this is perfect for you. You can have all your white stuff. You can have your stack of white lenses behind you and your webcam view. Everyone will know that you're a real professional. Your white headphones on, yeah, exactly. With your, with your white boom arm and your white microphone, everyone yeah. will know and that you're a even, pro. They've even got I don't know which monitor this is they have in this product photo, but it's a white monitor as well <laughs> and uh, white keyboard and mouse and all of I that. I think that's one so, of those. Yeah. Um, is that one of those Samsung smart ones? I think. I think yeah. so. Also, the the custom gaming PC that they're running here even has white LED fans. White LED They've fans really for it. They've got a like a silver <laughs> GPU, custom white cables in there. Oh yeah, this is yeah. wonderful. What's interesting though is that the uh, the cable on this headphone is black still. Yeah, that's. So I don't know why that. they did that. That seems like a huge yeah. oversight on their part. Road uh, update that and get back to us. But yeah, if you want to buy this whole bundle. Um, it's uh, $1,127. Comes with premium black XLR cables. And honestly, so though, that's not a super bad deal for this kind of stuff. They're not really adding that much of a premium to it. If you're doing what I'm doing, which is just sitting alone in your house recording a podcast, you don't need a roadcast. No, 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 that, no. That's no. the only thing I would say. No, but they're not like up like the pod, the microphone and the headphones and everything. That's just the price of those things. It's not yeah, like yeah. ridiculous. Right. Um, next, we have uh, Canon has formally discontinued the M series mirrorless cameras. It's disappointing, um, but I get it. it. Yeah, they'd been languishing for a while, yeah. um, and now they're finally officially dead. Um, sort of interesting. Uh, like both Nikon and Canon's first attempts at mirrorless ended up being misfires. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's because in both cases they like made a new lens mount instead of like they made a new lens that was clearly a compromise right it's not the the yeah. new canon i forget what the name of it is but it's not the new canon mount rf yeah rf yeah. it's not the nikon z mount in either case they like made mm -hmm. a compromise mount that obviously had no future both of them yeah. did this and i don't know why they made that choice it seems like it was doomed to fail well, it also seems like in both cases, Nikon and Canon, they targeted their initial mirrorless stuff as like beginner yeah. budget friendly stuff. So they were they were cut down sensors, not really ever designed. I think in like the Nikon one case, those weren't those were even smaller than APS-C yeah, sensors. Tiny. So like no way that you're going to get a full frame camera with that lens mount, you know? And so, yeah, like you say, like compromised and also just like no room to grow from those either. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I think I don't it's, know what either of them were thinking. Here. The, the, both of these are from a time where neither of them 
thought that mirrorless was ever going to be anything serious is really the problem. And I mean, in Canon's case, they didn't really get serious about mirrorless until what, like two years ago. I mean, they're super far behind in this, but none of them really seemed to care. None of the like big manufacturers really cared about it until Sony started eating their market. Right. So it's just from a different time. I mean, the Nikon one was introduced in 2011, I think. It's a very different time. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, that it is, you know, the the fact that you can get, like, an interchangeable lens camera, the uh, like the M200, that's this tiny little thing that's, like, barely bigger than a point-and-shoot, yeah. is kind of neat. It is, it is. And I know folks who like that camera because it's, like, pretty high quality for its size. I also know people who like um, it as a webcam. It makes a very good webcam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, if you want one of those for a webcam, snap it up sooner rather than yeah. later. Yeah. If it's like the rest of the vintage, I guess it'll be vintage eventually, photo market. It'll be vintage. Uh, vintage. The prices only go up, so get, get on that. Yeah. Antique. Uh, and then this this is rather old news, but I figured it would be worth talking about, which is that uh, Pentax, uh, which is under Rico now, announced some months ago that it's starting a project to make a new film camera, yes. or actually several new film cameras. Um, I'm excited by this. I don't know where they are on this. Because this was almost a year ago that they they said this, but um, it's interesting. They said they were going to come out with like a compact point and shoot first. Yeah. And for me, I was like, well, okay, Eureka, you make the GR, which <laughs> yeah, is, right. you know, based on the original GR1 film camera. Like, so just, just make, make that I mean, again. maybe that's, that's what they'll camera. do. Yeah. I, I will get one of these. I've been yeah. sort of curious to get back into film. But so many of the, like, mm. what I would want is to buy probably, like, a Nikon F something or rather. Like a F6, Because it yeah. fits with lenses that I already own. But those are, they're very expensive used. So having new yeah. film cameras come into the market hopefully will drive those prices down across the board. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll be, and it's good, too, because... Uh, well, you should try what I have, which is an F100, which is like the F6, but cheaper and smaller. Um, it's really good. And, uh, but you know, that camera, uh, was last produced in 2006, you know? So like even, even all of the like late model advanced DSLRs are getting old and starting to break and getting replacement parts for them is difficult. So yeah. Getting new cameras in will be nice. And Pentax has said they hope to eventually get to the point of, like, releasing a proper film SLR. I mean, that would be great. It would be exciting. Um, But, yeah, I, you know, I'm excited about this and also a little scared because I know that I will buy this whenever it comes out. (laughs) Probably regardless of the price. And you know it's going to be expensive. Like, Like, they're going to they're going to charge a lot for this. Yeah. But I'm just like, you know, Pentax, please don't hurt me too badly, you know. I've been a loyal, I have, an, I have a 645N, you know. If like, you, if you I, send in nice photos of your old Pentax cameras, they'll give you a discount. Yeah. <laughs> Pro- prove your loyalty. That would be nice. Get 10% off. Um, next we have in the, in the film uh space yes i think you've heard about this the whole sinister yeah i've heard a little bit but i've sort of intentionally stayed away explain this i'm curious right so so sinister is a company that um 
it's hard to describe this as anything other than like a marketing operation, like a like a white labeling operation. Okay. Basically, what they do is they buy cinema film from Kodak, uh, and you can't you can't normally use cinema film in uh, like a film a still film camera because it you can't process it the same way because it has a, a layer of um, what they call remjet on mm-hmm. it, which is basically for um, anti-halation. Okay. It's got this black coating and the, the normal um, C41 development process expects that you don't have that. So sure. Um, you either have to get this film developed in the ECN two process by someone who can do that, or you have to do what Cine still does, which is basically remove that layer without like exposing the film. Mm. Um, so that Cinema still started out doing that. This is my understanding. Cinema still started out doing that itself. They bought the cinema film from Kodak, removed the Remjet, and then basically respooled it. My understanding is that now they've gotten big enough that they just buy master rolls from Kodak without the Remjet okay. and then get it respooled. Okay, sure. Um, I mean, that doesn't, on the face so, of it, that doesn't seem bad. Right. And it, it has basically enabled the um, appearance of these, like, quote unquote, new color films in a market where color film has been shrinking and is harder and harder to find because Fujifilm has mostly given up on right, it. Sure. Um, leaving basically Kodak and a couple of other companies, not worth mentioning, that make uh, color film. Sure. But and the, the, the cinema films do have an interesting look to them that's different from the. Uh, you know, like normal color negative film. Um, but Cinestill has made their name doing this, um, and they have their lines, their their line of films, um, which are named 50D, uh, 800T, 400D. And those are names that are taken from the way that Kodak names their film. So 800T means it's ISO 800 and it's tungsten color balanced. What it actually is, is it's Kodak Vision 3 500T. Kodak weights it at 500 ISO, tungsten color balanced. Similarly, 50D is is Vision 3 50D. Um, But the thing here is they've decided that they get to trademark 800T. And so there Mm. are other, like, there are other, like, boutique operations, and they have called their films, like, in this formula, 100D, 800T, or whatever. And um, Sinistil has been basically sending these folks like cease and desist letters saying, hey, you're using our trademark for 800T. I see. Uh, And this has not gone over well with film folks because this is kind of a silly. (laughs) Yeah, because firstly, that's like a big ish brand going after like little folks. Yeah. But also like 800T is like not like the concept of naming your film ISO number and then T or D for whether it's tungsten or daylight yeah, balance. How, how is that a trade invented by Cinestill? <laughs> and also, yeah, like that's a description of the product, not necessarily a, you know, a trademark, right? Right, right, right. Like Kodak doesn't try to claim the trademark on 500 T. No. If you call it vision three, 500 T they would. And indeed here, Cinestill, like the technical name of the film is 800 tungsten, right. you know, and so these folks are calling their films like Grain 800T or like Amber T800. And I think that is fine because that's a really easy way for 
people like me to know what the film is and what it's for. Yeah. But Sinistil is like, people are going to get it confused. I don't think so. And my my response to that is like, come up with a more descriptive name yeah. for your film. You know, this is like why Kodak has like Ektar, you know, a word that doesn't make any sense, yeah. but describes one of their films. Or all of the Fuji ones. Like, you don't see Fuji yeah. film coming out here saying, yeah, our premium black and white film, uh, 800B. Like, they don't, nobody's right. doing that. No, they have Fuji Superior and Velvia yeah. and yeah, Fuji has some crazy names for their stuff. So like, yeah, it's not my fault that you didn't, <laughs> you know, I don't know. The thing is, even their, even their black and white film is based on a Kodak cinema right. film, which is called Double X. And so they call their film BWXX. Well, and that's the other, the know? other part and of this like, too is it's not like they're making their own film either, right? They're just buying this stuff and relabeling it. Right. Oh, all of these companies basically exist in a space where if Kodak notices, they could just like completely <laughs> obliterate these yeah. companies by doing this work themselves. Right. Yeah. Like all Kodak has to do is sort of like wake up from its nap. Yeah, I know? don't see that so, happening anytime soon, but yeah, they could. No. But, but the, the galling thing was that, you know, folks basically called Sinistil out for doing this and Sinistil rather than saying like, whoops sorry you know like we'll reel it in basically doubled down yeah. uh and you know was posting on instagram accounts and saying like uh you know listen you uh you know you're being mean to us kind of thing <laughs> so it's just a ridiculous situation and it has made a lot of people um, not wish to purchase in a still films anymore, which is great because you can eventually essentially buy the same film from somewhere else right. <laughs> because again, they don't make their own unique film. Uh, uh and I, I even know some folks who have looked into just getting the reels of the vision film and removing the remjet themselves. Cause it's not that yeah, hard. I suspect it's not. Uh, I mean, it's probably expensive. In, in fact, but... Kodak publishes the recipe for <laughs> what you need to do to remove the remjet. Of course they do. Like, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like you can just go download a, a PDF of what you need to mix up so a, to a soak smart, the film in to like, get the ramjet off of it. A smart local photo store owner could buy a huge reel of this stuff and just do this themselves and sell it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it would take them maybe a day or two of effort yeah. to like soak the film and then like spool it into individual 35 millimeter canisters. Well, this is dumb. It's not that challenging. This, this feels like um, Sinistil has gotten um, startup brain. Uh, that's what it feels like to me. I think, I think so. Yeah. Well, I also think their trademark people were like, you know, if you, do, or their lawyers were like, you know, if you don't defend a trademark, you lose it kind of yeah. thing. So then they were like, well, we have to, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's another similar thing going on in, I only know about this because of some like YouTube video essay I watched, but there's like a, an influencer fashion brand that's doing basically this same thing to uh, other creators that, buy clothes that look like their clothes even though their clothes are like knockoff of designer brands in the first place like they don't they don't provide mm -hmm. any value but now they're you know they've trademarked something and now they're going after other people who are doing the same thing that they're doing it's it's ridiculous this feels it feels like a result of the free money drying up and everybody's freaking out yeah the the other thing too is that since still continues to insist that it is doing more than simply washing off the remjet. Are they proving that and in any way? No. Yeah. And in fact, I know some folks who work at photo labs who reliably tell me that that's like not 
the case, yeah, right. basically. Uh, I mean, of course, I would they're, not, say they're, like, they're, they're buying a finished product from Kodak. Like they're <laughs> yeah. Sinistil's claims in this regard are not highly regarded by people who process film, yeah. I would say. You know? Well, you know, Andrew, um, it's, it's really difficult to cut film up and put it on a reel. And, you know, applying those stickers in a way that makes them aligned correctly, that's just, it's really difficult to do. Right. <laughs> that's that's literally what they said in in this article uh, in Petapixel where they doubled down. They had a statement that said... Um, in the years following the commercial launch of Cinestol's 800T brand, several other businesses around the world were inspired to try and replicate something similar by simply washing off the Remjet layer from existing motion picture film stocks prior to exposure with varying unsuccessful results, Cinestol says, explaining that correctly removing the Remjet mo- layer from motion picture film is, quote, very difficult, uh-huh. which again... <laughs> Kodak publishes the recipe for what to do there. And then they say, unfortunately, similar products released by other companies at that time were substantially inferior in quality to sin stills. And eventually each of these products were discontinued by the companies making them. Uh, so they're basically like, oh, our reputation was harmed in the past, which is why we're being mean about it now. Um, anyway, I guess this is just like, I don't know. Like you don't, you don't make your own right. film. Ultimately <laughs> is my point, you know, it's like yeah. you're not even like you don't you don't even own this house. <laughs> you're just squatting in this house and saying it's yours. This is this you know? is it's the equivalent of like a, a Ford dealership saying, Well, I've I've trademarked uh uh the I, I made up a name for the trim level on this car and I've trademarked it. And now I'm suing right. everyone else it's who like sells you don't, this you car. Don't even make the car. Right. They they don't right. they don't add value here anymore. <laughs> You could argue yeah. in the beginning, I suppose they added value by, you know, doing the washing when no one else was, but mm-hmm. not anymore. That so, feels like the kind of anyway, thing where I you, you they, make a blog post that's like, hey, I found out something cool. Did you know you can buy this film stock and remove the top layer? And that's it. Yeah. Right? You just tell people about it. You don't right. try to make a business out of it. Yeah. I guess Cinna still probably won't be sponsoring. No, this, I suspect uh, not, and I'm future, fine with that. Yeah, that's all right. There are other film companies out if there. Ni- if Nikon wants to sponsor us, though, I mean, come on, come on in. I'll I'll accept that any day. Yes, I. Yeah, I'll I'll take a sponsorship from Nikon any day. Speaking of Nikon, I got my new camera this week. Yes, let's talk about uh, it. I got the the new ZF ZF. Um, which is their like classically styled full frame yes. camera. So I guess this is based on like the design of the FM two or FM three. Yep. Um, what I like about it is it has the dial for ISO and the dial for shutter speed as separate dials. Yeah, that is very nice. Um, you still have to dial in the aperture uh, with one of the knobs rather than. Because most of the lenses don't have aperture rings. Well, so that's I think interesting. You set the focus ring to be an aperture. It depends ring. on the lens. Um, some of them that you can too. customize. Yeah. Some you can't. Uh, the pro- the professional lenses, like the you know the two point eight um, Holy Trinity, the uh, fourteen twenty four, twenty four seventy, seventy two hundred. They all have two rings on them, and you can customize what the rings mm-hmm. do. So I have. On mine, the ring further out to the end is focus, and the one closest in is aperture. Um, so it just depends on the yeah. lens. But I guess basically what this camera is underneath is it's like 
sort of a Z six three, yeah, as it were. Like much. it's the Z six two, but with some some enhancements. And as someone who had a Z six two, I was like, well, all right then. Um, it's got better autofocus. It can track birds and aircraft and trains. Apparently, that I didn't know track trains, but that's suddenly of interest to me. They've taken the new autofocusing model from the Z eight and Z nine. And sort of shrunk it down to fit in there, I guess, and run on whatever sensor yeah. or whatever processor it has. And I, I will say, I did notice it doing uh, the eye detection autofocus on my dog, yes. which was kind of And it's neat. much, much um, faster than whatever the Z6 II was running as well. Yeah. Um, it can also do 30 frame per second capture. Oh, this also has a pre-release capture mode. Yes, they go. added that as Just well. Just like the... Sony, eat your heart out. Um, <laughs> oh, this is this is the other thing is that that Sony because uh, I've got the ISO range now. This thing does ISO one hundred and sixty four thousand. The A nine three base ISO is two fifty. Yeah, that's bizarre that to me Sony, as well. Which is a little it's, weird. That camera is very yeah. compromised in a lot of ways. In ways that, yeah. like I said, I suspect um, the A one will not be. Yeah. Um, oh, this also has one of the things that I was curious about with this camera is that the image stabilization is um rather than just being around like the center of the sensor it can now stabilize around like the focus point oh that's which is cool. neat yeah did they so not it, i guess they haven't be brought like, that to the other ones yet i guess not yeah hmm. um but uh i will say like it feels really good mm. i am getting the grip for it to make it grip a little bit better sure. but it's got like the like faux leather texture um, did you get the um, there's also soft, a soft shutter, shutter button? button that did I you get that? Get. No, I need I need to get yeah. that. <laughs> I have one of those on my X100V, um, and it's very nice. I mean, it's not super useful, I suppose, but it looks good. This also has a better uh, articulating display than the Z6, because the Z6 display just sort of flipped up so that like you could do waist level shooting. This one flips around. What's interesting is that this is the only Nikon camera that has... Uh, a flippy screen like that. So even mine, right? My camera can flip yeah. out in both directions to do waist level at portrait and landscape, which is very useful. But it can't flip mm -hmm. around to let you take video of yourself. Um, this is the yeah. only one that can do that. Even the Z6, the Z5, which none of them have this. What well, and the Z30, which is like the vlogging yeah. cam doesn't do that it's been a perpetual complaint yeah. of like um kai and Locke on youtube like they always complain right. when cameras don't have this and yeah it, there's no reason not to right um but there are some compromises with this camera namely because it doesn't have like a huge grip like every other z camera there isn't room for two sd card full-size sd card slots or uh. like an sd card and cf express slot like there is in the z62 so instead you get one sd and one micro sd which is really weird uh <laughs> i mean i guess uh, in that scenario i think probably what i would do is shoot raw to the sd and jpeg to the micro sd just to have a backup yeah right? that's, that's probably what i would do basically what i would do is that the micro sd should only ever be for backup yeah. or lower quality because the micro sd cards are just not going to be as reliable I mean, okay, as okay. a full sd card we all know that <laughs> a micro sd card and an sd card are exactly the same a lot of these sd cards just have a micro sd card inside them 
<laughs> I'm still going to be superstitious. About yeah, it. of course, of course. <laughs> See, I see they've also um, added the circular eyepiece from the Z8 and Z9. That's very nice. I do like that a lot better yes. than the other ones. I did I did notice that. Yeah, that's a nice, that is very uh, nice. difference compared to the Z6. Um, and then, yeah, I got the... Uh, I also got the F to Z adapter yeah. because I have F lenses for my um, for my F100. I'll be curious to hear how um, the 2 works. is, if it's any better than... I have the FTZ1. I'm curious if the 2 is any better. Yeah, I've got the two. My understanding is that the two is basically just the one, but without the tripod mount. Mm. Uh, like it's otherwise the same. It it works pretty well with my uh, the f lenses that I have, which are um, the f lenses that I have are ones that assume an in body autofocus motor, so right. they don't autofocus on the Z, but they you do get focus confirmation. Right. right. Um, so like it'll the little focus square will be red. And then when you dial it in, it turns green, which is nice. Cause I was like, how's that? Yeah, that work? is nice. You know? Cause you don't get a, like a film camera, you get a nice prism. Yeah. You know, and you get, you can line things up like that, but obviously this doesn't do that. Oh, I'm noticing. Um, yeah, okay. I haven't, I'm reading the specs. A couple more things. They added hmm. 3d tracking okay. to it as well for the autofocus, which is mm-hmm. very, very nice. Mm-hmm. That's something that neither the Z six nor Z seven has. Um, even in the two variant, they don't have the 3D tracking. So this brings the autofocusing capabilities up to where the D850 was, which is very nice. Mm. Um, mm. Also, you can capture in HEIF instead of JPEG. Um, yes, you can, which is, I think, what I have it set to. Yeah, that's um, pretty nice, too. Right now. That that saves a little bit of your memory. Yeah. Um, and you've got these picture yeah. controls, which I wish they had on my camera, but don't. This is basically film yes, simulation. The picture controls exactly. Yeah. And you can download uh new ones and basically yeah, so this is basically like Fuji film simulations. And indeed, uh one of the folks at the camera store who got his ZF before mine was showing me that he had downloaded like Fuji equivalent ones. He's like, This one's Velvia, yeah. this one's Acros, uh, which is pretty neat. Um what I realized is that if I want it, the film look, I just shoot a film camera. Well, sure. So I haven't put those on my <laughs> camera, but it's nice to know that I can. Um. So one of one of these will be entering my home. My wife has ordered the blue one because one of the other things is this comes yeah. in colors, That's, which is very nice. Yes. Um, so we have a blue one on the way uh, eventually. My my complaint, I got the black one. My complaint is that the colors, it basically changes the color of the faux leather. Yeah. And the rest of the body is black. And what I want is a silver body yeah, with a black leather nice. grip. That's that's what and I want. And this is why I have the X100V, um, because that's what it is. Yeah. Um, oh, this also does 4K 30 um, at full frame. Pretty good. Or 4K 60 when cropped to DX. Now, I want um, to mention nice. something. Everybody complains about the cropped video look, and a lot of these cameras will do that. Where when you're at 4K 60, it will crop in or something. Why? Why does? Why mm. is that a problem? I, I don't understand why that's an issue. For I people. don't know. Isn't it the same? It's the same number of pixels. Ultimately, yeah. I guess it's just like <laughs> fewer pixels are getting downsampled into the 4K. So you use a wider know. lens. Like I don't. I don't know. I. I, I don't yeah. understand the criticism here. Know. Whenever this happens. Where they'll be like, oh yeah, when yeah. you when you take 4K video, it's a point. It's like a 98 percent of the sensor instead of 100. It's like okay, who, mm-hmm. who cares? It's still oh, 4K. And the other, the other annoyance of this camera uh, is that 
it does not take third party batteries because that's, I guess that's a bizarre uh, choice. Starting that they made. yeah, starting with the Z8, the 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 batteries have like a little chip in them, and the Z8 and ZF read that chip. And uh, if your battery does not have that chip, it will work fine. But what it will do is fire up the screen and say, you can't use this battery. And it's like, clearly (laughs) I can because like you're on and you're showing me something on the screen, but it just refuses to turn on. That's so odd because the, the Z nine doesn't have that with the larger batteries. Yeah. But I imagine the Z nine two or whatever will, um, I don't know why they're doing this other than just to try and get more money from having to buy, you know, Nikon official batteries. But I assume that the third party battery manufacturers are going to reverse engineer yeah, this pretty figure quickly it out, too. I'm sure. So, yeah, it's like a momentary annoyance. But uh, yeah, I was sort of disappointed because I opened it up and I was like, well, the battery that comes with it is probably dead. I'll just use one of my other batteries yeah. which are some off brand and i put it in and it's like nope can't do this one it's like what? somebody will come up with a like hearing oh. drm thing i'm sure you like uh, take take the label off an official battery and stick it on the fake one and then it will work or something yeah but this camera also has USB-C and does USB-C power delivery. Right. So you could just power it from like a Anything. like an anchor <laughs> battery pack. Yeah. So like, what does it matter? I don't know. Bizarre choice they've Bizarre. made. Hopefully, well, I hopefully yeah. they go backwards on it. And that's one area where that like, would be nice. I suspect with the professional cameras with the Z9, I don't know if they could do this because they've been using the same format of battery in those big ones for a decade and people like professionals mm. have huge libraries of these, of these batteries. Oh, that could be, yeah, they would probably annoy like a, a lot more people. If I bought that. one of these batteries 10 years ago, you're going to tell me now I can't use it anymore because why? Because the cameras decided I can't, even though it fits and has the same yeah, output capacity. We decided you need to spend more money. Yeah, I, that, that's not going <laughs> to fly with like professionals. Well, I'm excited. This I'm I'm looking forward to see what you shoot with this. This looks good. Yeah, I haven't had a, a whole lot of opportunity to use it yet, but I have a family thing this weekend uh, in which I've been asked to take photos. Nice. So it'll get. Oh, used did you did you get the good looking um, 40 millimeter f2 lens that goes with it? I did not, but I am thinking strongly about that lens. I don't know. Yes, the classic look lens with the, yeah. like, diamond knurling I want that lens. Um, I don't think they're I selling want... it uh, separately yet. I think I they see are. it on BNH, but it Maybe says back-ordered. Okay. There's also a 28 f2.8 with that same styling. Yeah. I wish they had this styling on all the lenses, um, because, frankly, I think lenses today don't have enough like grippy bits on yeah. them but uh yeah well the 40 f2 like you know. can get it in the regular one and it it's a good lens so it's the same one just in a different yeah. case i want to get one of these because it's like very small as far as z mount lenses go they have been pretty mm. bad so far i mean i have a ton of these z mount lenses they've been pretty bad yeah, at making small big. ones um and this one is very yeah. small so i'm i'm i hope we get more like they this. do have is it the is it the like 26 F2 that's like a pancake yeah. lens? That's one that one of my friends said that he just sort of left on his camera when he had a Z5. Yeah, that is that is one uh, that's pretty good. Almost almost pocketable. Yeah, almost. <laughs> yeah. Um 
Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The Z lenses, uh, you know, I don't know. When you pick a camera system, lens selection is a big thing. And the Z lenses, there are, you know, not as many of them as like certainly Sony E mount or even, well, there's probably more than Canon RF. Yeah. But, um, Oh, you can okay. You can get the twenty-eight millimeter right now in the classic styling. That one's available. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And only three hundred and six dollars. That's a pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. Twenty-eight millimeter, two point eight. Yeah, I may uh, be placing an order. Add to cart. Uh, anyway, speaking of shooting things, obviously I'm, I'm going to be shooting, uh, family stuff this weekend, but what have you been shooting? Well, actually I just did similar things. We had a bridal shower last weekend and I was shooting that, um, Mm. got, it was in New York. Um, the lighting was okay most of the day, but towards the end, like around sunset, we got basically perfect, like almost studio lighting Mm. outside. Um, cause the sun was kind of nice. filtered through the clouds and I got some really great yeah. portraits. Um, then I'm, I'm pretty pleased with them. I'll put some links in the mm-hmm. show notes here to a couple of the ones that I've published, but yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm using these family events as ways to practice doing portraits. Cause I, I don't really get a lot of, uh, practice doing that and the typical things that I shoot. I don't either, and uh, I wish I was employed because I would really like to rent a studio and yeah. talk to like some of the models who go on the photo walks for the photo walk group that I'm part of, and be like, "Hey, can I like have like an hour of your time or to like two hours of your time?" And we go to a photo studio, and I just like practice a bit, yeah. you know, because um, I don't. Yeah, I gotta get I gotta get practice there too. I did go to. Um, there was actually like a Fujifilm sponsored event um, in conjunction with the local uh, uh, camera store where they rented out a studio and they had this um, character photographer come in. Her name is Bobby Lane Mm. and she had all sorts of fancy lights and backdrops. And then they had models who were done up to look like zombies basically. Oh, I like that. That sounds crazy. Had some crazy lighting in there. Um, And yeah, so I practiced some, uh, portrait photography there, which I can, I'll link. I think I uploaded those. Um, that was fun. And that was also like, I need to get lights yeah. and practice more. <laughs> Cause I've been, I guess what I've been shooting lately is basically stuff that's outside right. because it's been nice <laughs> here, but now it's, now it's getting not nice and I'm going to have to start shooting stuff that's inside. Cause it's just going to be too dark, especially for film yeah. stuff. You know, I have a um, flash. Yeah. That is the extent of my lighting. <laughs> Yeah, I have a flash and like a small little Fresnel light called like the Pocket Canon Mini, which I just got and haven't even tried. So, yeah, we shall see. Uh, The the problem is that all of these lights are quite expensive. Oh, they're so expensive. That's why I don't have And I could be buying lenses with that money. Right. (laughs) And I even, my flash was like $400. I have a Nikon something or other. It's very expensive. And it's very good, but it's only one. And I got... I got an off-brand flash, but it was still like two hundred bucks. Yeah, you know, it's like a newer or whatever. But yeah, I also try to not. I try not to compare myself to professionals, but I'm friends with a um, professional in Maine, and he does a lot of my family's events. Um, whenever they like, my dad's friends with them. Whenever they do, like my bar mitzvah or my brother's bar mitzvah, my brother's graduation, whatever, he'll come and you know take pictures for them. 
and he'll set up five or six different lights in the room at different places and he's got the flash commander setting them off at different times it's like i am never going to get to that so yeah <laughs> why <That's> bother so <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the other thing i've been shooting i've been shooting um nature photography lately um highly mm. recommend going and taking an expedition not even an expedition but like go somewhere to take photos of nature specifically yeah so i went down to uh, monterey and went out on a whale watching expedition just to like specifically for taking pictures of sea life we saw some good whales Mm -hmm. saw some otters sea lions that sort of thing but you got some pretty close encounters yes very close encounters uh but in general i'm like if you want to practice your photography, the only way to get better is to actually practice. And one way to force yourself to yeah. do that is to like go somewhere where that's the thing that you're doing. So this wasn't far mm-hmm. for me. Monterey is only like an hour and a half uh, away. It's pretty close. Yeah. But like if I go down there with just my camera and like a change of clothes for the next day, I'm only going to be taking pictures because that's all I have. It's a great way mm-hmm. to practice. Yeah. And I, I got involved, I should plug them, I guess, actually, with a photo walk group here, um, which is film-focused, but not, you know, exclusively film, but it's called The Film Cipher. The Film Cipher. The Film C-Y-P-H-E-R. We'll put a link in the show notes. But that's, uh, you know, we meet up about once a month to do uh, usually a photo walk. It's been outside, but now that it's getting cold, we're thinking of... Um, other things to do and one of the things i suggested to the guy that organizes it was like hey what if we rent a studio and like split the cost you know for a day and folks who have lights can bring their lights in and then we can just you know all practice yeah that's you know, a like pretty good idea indoor stuff so yeah i wish we had one of those groups here yeah i'm sure there's a fo- there's gotta be a photo work group we have a couple of you, photo but, clubs yeah. but they're all like it's nobody my age as far as i can tell that is yeah. true and i did go to one before i found this one i went to another one and it was all folks who are older than my parents and i was like mm, not like i love y'all but not really yeah. the crowd i'm trying to spend a whole lot of time and with. i'm also i'm at more of an intermediate level i think so i mean i live i live in silicon valley but i promise i'm not one of those guys silicon valley is full of <laughs> People who spent a lot of money on Sony cameras that don't know how to use them. And so several of the photo walks and things around here are like people who have they they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) So you spend the whole time like helping them figure that out. And that's nice sometimes. But other times you want to go to, you know, talk to people who are kind of at the same level as you and actually want to talk about Mm -hmm. the craft, not just about, you know, which gear they have. Yeah. We get all kinds with the film cipher, and of course, since it's more film focused, p- people show up with some pretty interesting cameras sometimes. Um, yeah, one of our photo walks back in August, two different folks showed up with four by five view cameras, wow. which was interesting. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but you know, it takes them like five minutes to set up the yeah, shot. Yeah, of course, <laughs> it's part of the fun, so, though. But it, you know, it's right, exactly. Yeah, and it's sort of fun to see what cameras people bring each time, you know. And I, I cycle out because I have a bunch of different film cameras. I cycle out which ones I bring, depending on you know how much back pain I'm willing to deal with the next morning. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> As yeah. a user of a five pound camera, um, I totally understand. 
Yeah. Oh God. How heavy is my six four five N? That thing is a brick. I tell you what. Good lord. Especially when you put a long lens on yeah. it. But um and then I usually have that with another camera. Right. So yeah. Um anyway, yeah, that's what we've been shooting and what we hope to shoot. Yeah, so I want to do like a camera history segment sure. to talk about like historically important cameras. Um, I want to start with the Minolta 7000 and 9000. So like the uh, title of what camera was like the first autofocus camera is kind of a mess because right. there are like a bunch of different ones you can use. Uh, the Minolta 7000 is sort of like the first like modern camera, modern SLR camera as we would recognize it. It sort of set the standard for the having integrated autofocus, how the autofocus worked with the lens and having motorized film advance. So you had cameras before it, like the Nikon F3 AF that had autofocus, but you had to use like two special lenses. Sure. And then you, you also had cameras um, that had autofocus lenses where the sensor was in the lens, not in the camera. Oh. Um, yeah. Canon and, had uh, one of those, right? Mm-hmm. In Pentax. Yeah. Um, so Minolta sort of set the pattern for a camera that had the autofocus sensors in the body, the actuators in the lens, and then a motorized film advance. Interesting. And that's basically what the 7000 was. That was the first like SLR camera that basically checked all of those boxes. Um, sort of the, I guess the 7000 is sort of the, like the, well, Sony bought Minolta's camera. Yeah. Um, system. So the 7000 is equivalent to like the Alpha 7, which is to say it's like one tier under the top tier. Now, here's here's something interesting that, speaking of Sony buying them, um, according mm. to this Wikipedia article for the Minolta Maxim 7000, it was called the Alpha mm. 7000 in Japan. Indeed, <laughs> yes. That's where Sony got Alpha from. Is that basically... <laughs> Minolta did the same thing that Canon did, where they had three different names for their products, depending on which market it was yeah. in. So, like, in the U.S., it was called the Maxim 7000. In Europe, it was the 7000 AF. And then in Japan, it was the Alpha 7000. And Sony, when they bought Minolta's camera stuff, just went with Alpha, which is probably smart. Um, Interesting. But what's fascinating is that Minolta came out with the 7000, and then they needed to come out with their super professional camera which they did in the form of the 9000 mm -hmm. and the 9000 is an interesting camera in that it is the like only professional autofocus slr that has a manual film advance they took uh -huh. the the motor advance out of the 7000 for some reason <laughs> so it's, it's this advanced camera that can do autofocus and all the stuff itself but you have to manually wind each frame unless you buy a separate you know motor winder for it um, what why i just think that that's you know <laughs> i don't know i think it's this is just like it was a transitional time yeah um yeah i guess the 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 7000 looks a lot more like i guess what cameras look like now whereas looking mm -hmm. at the 9000 it definitely feels it has the big grip yeah it looks like a film camera yeah, yeah interesting yeah the 7000 has the big grip it has the little display on the top of the camera yeah. it has all sorts of buttons for custom functions the 9000 has a little display sort of on the top, but it's mostly the film advance right. lever, and it doesn't have as many buttons, which is odd because it's supposed to be a higher level. Well, maybe they thought camera, professionals but, wouldn't yeah. like the change. They might be right. 
I guess so. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, but yeah, this looks, I mean, Those the 7,000 uh, looks you know, very modern. Like you could probably, yes. I mean, without the colors maybe, but you could probably mm-hmm. release something like this today and no one would complain. It looks, it yeah, looks a like nice a camera thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And indeed these are still, you know, folks still use these today. Uh, there's, they're still sought after, um, you could even get, um, I think you, I think it says on here that you could get a, uh, like digital back for it that wrote to floppies, um, <laughs> which is kind of interesting, wild, but, yeah. but this is also, you know, this thing, uh, I think the shutter speed of this is like one four thousandth of a second, which is really yeah, good, pretty for good film, like faster than most of my cameras, except for my F 100, which I think does one eight thousandth of a second, but it's also, and these seem still to newer, be pretty so. cheap. I'm seeing them on eBay for like mm-hmm. 50 bucks. Yeah. And and they use A-mount lenses, which you can still get. Sony is still making A-mount lenses. Oh, are they? And you can still get a bunch of them. I thought yeah. they had stopped. I believe so. Huh. They might have stopped recently, but they're still, you know, it's still very new lenses yeah, out there yeah, yeah. for these. Interesting. Hmm. And since the, since the uh, you know, focus actuation is in the lens, you don't have to worry too much about compatibility or whatever. Right. Versus Nikon, where... <sighs> you have to consult a, a table to figure out whether the lens will work with your camera and what functionality is enabled working with your camera. <laughs> you know, Nikon prides themselves on being like, oh, we kept the same lens mount for a hundred years or whatever, but like they didn't. <laughs> it's had so many yeah, changes. They, they did, but they didn't. Yeah. Yes. Technically <laughs> you can take a lens from a hundred years ago and shove it onto your camera. Will it do anything? Right. Uh, maybe hard to say. And with that, we've reached the end of our program. We sure have. Uh, thank you for listening to Sense Noise. You can find us at sensornoise.com, home of the podcast. Um, and I think our social medias will be on there. I don't want to read them out because it's kind of obnoxious to read social media things out. Um, we're on Instagram. Yes. Uh, Sensor Noise Pod. And we're also on Blue Sky at Sensor Noise. Uh, you can find us there. And uh, oh, you can also email us feedback at sensornoise.com. Um, if you like email. So, uh, yeah, get in touch. Tell us what you think. Uh, rate and review. Smash that like button. You know, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Download us wherever where podcasts yeah. are sold, etc. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. It helps. And yeah, thank you for <laughs> listening. We'll be back soon. Yeah. <laughs>